Um, and in chapter 5, uh, the, the first sentence, the first paragraph on your handout is basically, it comes from uh, Henry Morris, as his, it's called the Genesis Record. I think it's a really good summary for what we're going to be talking about. He says, the first age of human history was brought to its climax and culmination in the days of Noah. The sin disease which, so innocuous, which began so innocu- innocuously when Eve was tempted to doubt the word of God, which then began to show off its true ugliness in the character of the life of Cain, which came to maturity in the godless civilizations developed by his descendants, finally descended uh, into such t- a terrible morass of wickedness and corruption that only a global bath of water from the windows of heaven could purge and cleanse the fevered earth. The characteristics of those awful and tragic days, strange as they may have been, may, may seem to our enlightened culture today, are nevertheless to be repeated in the last days of this present age. It is urgently important from the standpoint of both understanding past history and seeking guidance for the future that we understand the events which took place in the days of Noah. Um, one, I, I do need to say to everybody, last week there were uh, some pictures on my handout, and I understand that some people were offended. I apologize. I didn't mean to offend. Um, uh, they were, in my mind, I was just thinking they're pictures from uh, Michelangelo, which painted the Sistine Chapel, but some people were offended. I greatly apologize. It will not happen again, so please forgive me. I did want to say that from the start. Um, but moving on. Uh, in chapter 5, the first, the, verse, the first verse of chapter 5 says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. That's Toledot. That's our word again. That's the key marker for the book of Genesis, of uh, the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. God created man and woman. This is kind of, as I said, You've got that cycling back and forth and going forward in the book of Genesis. You kind of go forward and go back and go back and go forward. This is kind of going back. It's giving us another history. And it says, uh, God made male and female, and he blessed them in the day that they were created. And here's the key. It says, verse 3, And when Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of uh, a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. Now what happens is, you have... God has made Adam in his own image, and then the Bible says that uh, Adam made a son in his own image. Now, we already had sons, but this one says, hey, I made Seth in my image, but then when you look at verse 5, what are the last three words of verse 5? And he died. Okay? That's going to be something that you guys can remember because you're going to hear it a lot. What are the last three words of verse 8? And he died. <laughs> what are the last three words of verse 11? Take a guess. And he died. Verse uh, 17. And he died. Verse 20. And he died. Verse 20, uh, 27. And he died. Does there seem to be a pattern? In chapter 5, you're getting this genealogy of men, but the point is they all die. You had the creation of the world, and God said it was good. You had the spe- In chapter 1, you had the specific creation of man. In chapter 2, God said it was very good. But then in chapter 3, you have the serpent who sinned, you have the woman who sinned, and you have Adam who sinned, and it's like we fall off a cliff. Okay, 
We just go straight from having immortality, eternal life with God, to, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. Now, there is one thing, there is one guy in this whole line who doesn't die. And then you see that the repeated word uh, of, the cha- of chapter 5 is, and that little blank is, and he died. Okay? That's what goes in that blank. That's everywhere. That's the point of chapters 5 through 9. Everybody dies. But there's one guy, his name is Enoch. And what does the Bible say about Enoch? In verse 21 of chapter 5, it says, Enoch lived 65 years uh, and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. And he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Verse 24. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, this is a picture of a righteous man who God said, Look, you've got all these these men who they might love me, and they've got issues in their life, and they lived, and they died. But Enoch, you are such a righteous man that I am just going to take you to heaven. I wish that was me. I wish that was us. You know, we all wish we could walk with God and be so godly, so understand what God has us to do, that we would walk with God and God would just take us. Wouldn't that be great? Then we wouldn't have to live in this world where we suffer and we go through through trials, we get older, we start hurting and aching and stuff. It's just terrible. I wish God would just take me sometimes. But I know God can't because I have stuff to do. I've got a wife, I've got kids, I've got a family. You know, I hear, I'm teaching you guys, I'm learning from Amelia, I'm learning from everybody. And so... It's not that uh, we live our lives just to get taken to heaven. That's not how we live. We live our lives because God has something for us, okay? But Enoch was a righteous man. Now, now I'm going to say something to y'all real quiet, so y'all got to listen real carefully. Uh, y- y'all know I'm dispensational, right? And, and not everybody's dispensational. You know, they can be wrong, but it's okay. Now, I believe that Enoch is a picture of the rapture, but I'm not dogmatic on that. I don't, you know, I'm not going to make that a hill to die on. <laughs> Jason says, and I agree. You know, I heard some uh, really great um, explanations uh, in school for why this is a picture of the rapture, et cetera, et cetera. And but I've also heard some, you know, to Jason's point, uh, some some really good explanations of why this is not. But let's just say that I stand there now, but I stand there with like on one leg, okay. So we're standing on kind of shaky ground. But then when you get to chapter 6, uh, verse actually the end, of chapter, the end of chapter 5 says this. Noah was 500 years old, and Noah became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then it moves on. It just, in the, in the original, you, know, you guys understand, there's no verse markers, there's no division markers in the original. It just says, he became the father of these three guys. Now it came about, Okay. When the men began to multiply on the face of the land and the daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men 
and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men of whom of, of uh, who were of old men of renown. Now, who wants to know who these people were? We're going to talk about it later. All right, we're not going to talk about that now. We're going to skip over it, and actually, we're going to we're going to do that at the end of class. I'm going to try to save like 15, 20 minutes so we can talk about that. So. To get to the rest of what we're going to cover today, y'all are going to have to let me kind of fly, all right? I'm going to have to have wings on. So we're going to cover who these people were in uh, verses 1 through 4 of chapter 6. But let's move on. Because here's the, here's the key part in chapter 6. It says this. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only on evil continually. That's the point of why everybody dies. Man is just, I mean, it starts simple with a fruit. But now it is completely encased all of us. We are so enraptured with sin that God just says, look, the evil is all over the world. And in verse 6, the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. This is what the Lord said. I'm going to blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things to the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But what comes next is one of my favorite words in all the Bible. I've told you all this before. It's the word but. God says, I'm going to, I'm going to wipe them all out. But Noah, verse 8. Thank God for but Noah. Because if it wasn't for Noah... None of us would be here. God created man, and man had multiplied on the face of the earth. But remember, Noah was the only survivor of a worldwide flood. It was only Noah, his wife, and his son's wives. That's it. But Noah found favor or grace in the eyes of the Lord. That, to me, thank God that Noah did it. But now, when the the Bible talks, the very last paragraph on your uh, handout... It says, when it, when it says that wickedness and this evil, it's the word ra'ah. This word ra'ah, wickedness of man, was completely out of control. Excuse me. In Genesis 6 5, the total depravity of man is clearly manifested. Not only are the works of man declared to be wicked, but the very thoughts and intents of his heart uh, are evil, continually, never being mixed with good. That was the. The issue, uh, the issue, or the, the, the point of man in his, uh, in his fallen state is that we could not turn to good. Now, that's one of the reasons that I'm, I happen to believe in the soteriology that I believe in, or the doctrine of salvation that I believe in, is a Calvinistic one, because we just can't do good. You know what I'm I mean, sure, you can have a man in a war who throws himself on the grenade and he saves all the people in his little foxhole, but that is out of impulse. If you had to ask the man, hey, there's a grenade getting on the ground, do you want to throw yourself on it? He's going to say no for the most part. Most people are not going to willingly do something like that. People don't do good for good's sake. We do bad because it's bad and we think we can get away with it. But, but Noah, but Noah. Turn your sheet over. Now, we're moving on. It says, verse 9 of chapter 6, 
These are the records of the generations of Noah. That's Toledot again. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time, for Noah walked with God. Now we had Enoch who walked with God in chapter 5, but in chapter 6, as good as Enoch was, Noah is given the same word. He's given the same description. Noah was a good and righteous man, but Noah wasn't perfect, as we'll see at the end. Noah walked with God. Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Again, notice that again, the Bible is just repeating information that it's given you already, just repeating it and repeating it and repeating it, because the psych, this story is going back, going forward, going back, going forward, going back, going forward, so you understand the point. Again, God created, God created man, Satan, Eve, Adam, we fall off a cliff, everybody dies, but Noah. Noah's got three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Then, verse 13, uh, God says, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am, about to I am about to destroy them with the earth. Understand that. It's not that God was just going to wipe out mankind. He's going to destroy mankind, and he's going to wipe out the way the earth is. Make for, make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You take the ark with the rooms, and it shall cover the inside with, or excuse me, you shall make the ark with rooms, and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. And then he just goes on all the way down through verse 18, talking about how to build this ark. But he says in verse 18, Noah, you do this. Verse 18, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your son's wife with you. That is the first time that we see the word covenant used in the Bible. I think the word covenant is important. And I, I'm, I'm saying this specifically to kind of mess with my man Jason over there. Um, if you're going to say that something's a covenant, I think the word covenant needs to be there. But that's just me. Jason, you got something to say? Shabbat. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just, here's a quick question. Though, yeah. Noah... Yeah. Being one, and the other seven, <coughs> eight, were literally the righteous that were left behind. What? <laughs> but I'm not going to go there. <laughs> okay, boom, I'll take that sword. I'll take it, I'll take it. But um, um, <laughs> i got to get my mind back on track now. That was actually pretty funny. Um, so you, you've got these, these, uh, these people, and God has made this covenant with them. God has basically, uh, if you see under the picture, there's a rainbow there. Under the picture, it says, in this section, chapter 6 through 9, a covenant in the Hebrew is um, barit. That's the Hebrew word. It's first introduced. To enter into a covenant is to enter into a formal, solemn agreement. God made gracious provision for his people and established the terms uh, into which they are brought to him. Understand, that's, that's a simple definition of what a covenant is. And he's going to do that over and over and over again with people. Can anybody name any other covenants in the Bible? I'll give you a hint. We live under a covenant. Abrahamic. Yeah, Abrahamic. What about the covenant he made with Adam when he told him? Well, we can talk about that. <laughs> but how about... I was going to ask, 
even outside, not maybe you might call it extra biblical, would you say that a husband and wife has a covenant with each other? Yes, but not... Some people would use the word relationship yeah. intertwined with covenant, so I'm just how, how that's... There, Jason brings up a good point. A lot, and, and, I, and I agree. I agree that a husband and wife have a covenant. It's not called a covenant in the Bible. It's a relationship. <coughs> and, and people use covenant and relationship often synonymously, interchangeably. Do you all understand that term? Um, but I, I, there's, I think, a slight difference in a covenant that we get with God is who the parties are. There's a, there's a difference between me and... Uh, Oh, goodness, your name escapes me. What's your name, ma'am? Paula. Paula. Between me and Paula. How you doing, Paula? We got a covenant, okay? There's a difference between that and God and me having a covenant because of the parties are different. You all understand? I think when, when you and God have a covenant, that's something that is going to be on a, at a higher level than sure. me and Paula, yeah. okay? Um, so did I answer your question? I, there. The, the, the terms are used synonymously for man and woman, but I think when you talk about God, I think it's just, it's just me, and I, maybe I haven't read enough, but I think if you're going to say God, that you've got a covenant with God, I think the term needs to be there. Well, uh, John, uh, just real quick, in Malachi chapter, three, chapter 2, covenant is used for marriage. So It is? Yeah. Great. Yeah, so you're, you're, you have a wife like covenant. Great. <laughs> well, you know, there are not a whole lot of references, but and there, you know, I aside from this one, I don't even know another one. Okay, by memory, I don't know if you guys do, but I don't even know another one by memory. But so yeah, I mean, the covenant ma- marriage is a covenant. Okay, I, I I agree that marriage is a covenant. Okay. I just couldn't remember that. The, I didn't remember that that yeah. verse was Malachi there. Malachi two uh, third, uh, what is it? Two uh, fourteen. If anyone's interested. Two fourteen. Cool. Uh, did you have a question? Well, I did a little bit of a statement. Uh, what I like about the covenant with God, it's one way. Love that. Mm, yes. A marriage is two ways. Yes, very good. Very good point. Like yes, ma'am. So um, the rainbow, isn't that a covenant? We're getting there. We're getting there. Okay. You're walking ahead of me. Sorry. Uh, it's no problem. It's no problem. Um, <laughs> so where did we end off? We ended off at, at the end of verse 18. And then it says, look. Every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. So God gives this command. He says, bring all these animals two by two into the ark. Has anybody ever heard Bill Cosby's whole thing about Noah in the ark? Has anybody ever heard that? It's, it's very funny. I won't repeat it. Um, he Cosby's done some great stuff. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Bill Cosby is a comedian. Some of you guys, you know, they're like, who's Bill Cosby? But... Um, it's some really funny stuff. But it says, here at, and he, he brings all of these animals into the ark to keep them alive. And he brings um, certain kinds of animals. He brings more of for offerings and certain kinds for food. But at the end of verse 22, it says, Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. So he did. Again, Noah is a righteous man. Noah is right. He is blameless. He is perfect. He is a man set apart in the eyes of God. We're going to see that a phrase repeated. But then you get to chapter 7. Chapter 7 is uh, when God says, the chapter, or verse 1, Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me at this time, or in this age, um, in, this, in, this, uh, in this generation. And take with you every clean animal by sevens, a male and a female, and 
a bird and blah, 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 blah. All these animals down in verse 5, it says, Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. There's that repeated phrase again. Noah is a righteous man. This is what the Bible, the point that God is trying to get across to us. Now, verse 6. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came upon the earth. Then Noah said, uh, then Noah and his sons and his wives and his sons and his sons' wives with him entered the ark because of the waters of the flood. So the flood has started to come. How did the flood come? Does anybody have any idea? Yes, okay. There was water, but there was water that came down from rain, but there was also water that came up from the ground. Water is talked about, water is coming from everywhere. And it covered the mountains, the highest mountain. Now, we think about uh, Mount Everest is 29,000 feet. It was 22 and a half cubits, which is about, oh, I just forgot the measurement. It's a, big di- it's a big distance over the top of the highest mountaintop. That's right. All the earth was covered. Isn't that, John, isn't that also an um, argument for a local flood? Yes, and we're going to get to that. It's on the sheet. Um, six arguments for a universal flood. That's what I want to talk about right now. If Noah was, j- if it was just a local flood, and a lot, I mean, guys, I'm going to tell you, you're going to read, if you read commentaries on Genesis, a lot of modern commentators are trying to get away from a worldwide flood. But here are six reasons for a universal flood. There would have been no need for an ark, number one. If the flood was local, no one in his family could have simply left. You know, a guy could have said, Noah, I'm going to destroy this area. You and your family go down to South Africa and come back in, in a year and a half. He didn't say that. He said, Guys, you need to get in this boat that I'm telling you about because I'm going to flood the earth. Second thing is, the, world, the, world, the widespread population of the earth. God says, I'm sick of man. I'm sick with everybody. He had to wipe it all out. Third thing, the promise of God not to send such destruction again. Now he said, look, I'm not going to destroy the world this way through water Ever again. If again, if he had just destroyed the Mesopotamian Valley, the Middle East, what would be the point of saying that? There would be no point. Uh, ver- uh, number, the fourth reason. Flood stories can be found in the history of all ancient civilizations, such as the Sumerians and the Epic of Gilgamesh. Now that's what this picture on the front of your sheet represents. That's Gilgamesh and his people... There are some people that Gilgamesh is talking to. They're standing in front of somebody. If you notice, the one sitting down looks bigger than the ones that are standing in front of them. That's whole the whole, you got flood stories from all over the place, and you have the stories of giants from all over the place. Okay? So, verse 5. Fossils of marine life have been found at the top of mountains. Again, why would you find a seashell at the top of Mount Everest. Because at one time, Mount Everest was underwater. Okay? It was a worldwide flood. And then the last and most important thing, Jesus implies that there was a worldwide flood. If Jesus says it, I believe it, settles it. Alright? So, 
Pastor Emilio brought up a good point. We just covered. You got six reasons. If somebody wants to argue with you, man, you know, I don't think that there really was a worldwide flood because, you know, the hydrological, such as, and they're starting to spout eloquent. Just read them these things. Look, there was a worldwide flood. I believe there was a worldwide flood. I believe that everything that we see now was underwater. And that's amazing, guys. What would it be like to cover the entire world with water? I saw a picture as I was doing this. Um, it was actually an ad for the Olympics. It had um, everything's covered in water, and in the background you see the arc, and it's kind of floating through, and then you see a guy in his Olympic hat swimming. And he's like, train, it's all, it's, it's train, it's, it's a part of life, or something like that. And I'm like, that's kind of how I think, you know. But that's the whole point is, if everything is underwater, nothing lives, except for the marine life. Birds, animals, insects, man, you get wiped out. Everybody's gone. So, what do we do? Verse 13. On the very same day that God said, I'm bringing this flood, Noah, Shem, and Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wives, and the three, and the three wives of his sons with them, they went into the ark. Every beast went into the ark. Verse 16. Those that entered male and female of all flesh entered as God had commanded them, and the Lord closed the door behind him. God said, look, Noah, you got to get in the ark. And God shut the door. Salvation is God's doing. Noah could not have opened the door if he had wanted to. You can't lose your salvation. Salvation is a picture of the, uh, uh, the ark is a picture of salvation. So if you get saved by God, it's not something that you can get saved at 16, get saved at 27, get saved at 32, get saved at 45. You don't get saved over and over again, guys. You get saved once because God did it. All right? Verse 17. Then the flood came upon the earth for 40 days, and the water increased. It lifted up the ark so that it rose above the earth. The water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth, uh, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. The water prevailed more and more upon the earth so that the highest, that, the, that, that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. The water prevailed, there is, 15 cubits higher and the mountains were covered. 15 cubits is about 22 and a half feet. Um, uh, all the mountains were covered. All, fl- all flesh that moved on the earth perished. Birds, cattle, beasts, every swarming thing uh, that swarms upon the earth and all mankind. All that was on the dry land, all, of, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life, the, the breath of the spirit of life, died. Everything. We're having decreation. God says, I'm, guys, this gotten so bad, I put the breath of life into Adam, and all creatures now have the breath of life in some, in some way in them. It says everything with the breath of life died. If this was a, a, a trilogy, we would be in the second part. In a trilogy, the second part, the, the, the second movie is always the worst. If anybody ever saw uh, the Star Wars, it's uh, the second one. What was the second one? Anybody remember? What was the second name of the second Empire one? Strikes. The Empire Strikes Back. That's when everything's gloom. We don't know what's going to happen with the Empire and everybody's you know, dying and dead and everything. We're in the bad part, okay? Bad things are happening. Everything is dead. Water is everywhere. 
But we got to remember, what's the key word? But Noah. Noah's righteous. So, uh, in chapter 8, well, actually, we'll go back and finish. Uh, verse 23, chapter 7. He blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the earth, upon the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things to birds of the sky, and they were blotted out from the earth, and only Noah was left. But Noah, together with those that were with him in the ark, the water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. Chapter 8. Now, we had but Noah. Now we have another great phrase. But God. Verse 1 of chapter 8. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark. And God caused the wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. God said, okay, it's been long enough. He blew out his breath, dried up the earth, and also the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were closed, and the rain from the sky was restrained. And the water recited steadily from the earth, and at the end of 150 days, the water started to go down. Now what did Noah do? How did Noah test if to see if the land was good enough for people to come into or not? What did Noah send out? A raven and a dove. He sent out two. He sent out the raven, and the raven went back to and forth, back to and forth, back to and forth, back to and forth. Finally, it didn't come back. And he sent out a dove. The dove went back to and forth, back to and forth, back to and forth. And it said, look, eh. Then he sent it out one time, and it came back with what in its mouth? Olive, olive branch. You've read this story before. <laughs> came back with an olive branch in his mouth, but then he sent it out one more time, and what happened? didn't come back. And Noah said, we can get out of the ark now. All right? And so that was a quick way that we can go all the way through to verse 17 of chapter 8. So they're coming out of the ark. And God says, bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. That's the third time we've seen that phrase. Now, again, didn't we hear that phrase in Genesis 1? Yeah. He's telling Noah, hey, third time, be fruitful, multiply upon the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves upon the earth went out by their families from the ark. Now that must have been a scene. Boom, God opens the door. Can you imagine everything walking out two by two? That must have been a great scene. I would have loved to have seen that. Then Noah built an altar. I love this. Noah's a righteous man, but Noah, Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on that altar. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of, man heart, of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. And then he goes into the soliloquy. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. When God had flooded the earth, um, it's about... Uh, a year and some days that the earth was flooded the total time. Everything was thrown out of whack. 
There was no seasons. There was no, I mean, you just got water everywhere. But God says, when the water subsided, he said, I'm going to bring back this normal progression of time. You're going to have seed time and harvest. You're going to have cold time. You're going to have hot time. You're going to have summer. You're going to have winter. You're going to have day. You're going to have night. And it shall not cease. Things are going to go back to normal. But the issue is the earth has changed. Okay? The earth has changed. So God says... Chapter 9, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, again, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And he says, I'm going to make for you, should I eat the flesh and the life? Oh, uh, verse 3, every moving thing that is alive shall be for food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant going back to the garden. Only you shall not eat the flesh of it for its life, you know, with its life, that is the blood. Why? Surely I will require your lifeblood from every beast I will require it. And from every man, from every man's brother, I will require the life of the man. Then he goes into this, he says, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man's blood shall he be, shall, uh, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. As for you, be fruitful and multiply. Populate the earth and multiply upon it. God says, Eat whatever you need to eat. Just don't eat the blood that's in it. Because the life is in the blood. It's all good. If you do, I'm going to require your life. And God, verse 8. Then God spoke to Noah and to his son saying, Now, behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you and your descendants after you. And with every living creature that is with you. Birds, the cattle, and every beast of the field. And all that comes out of the ark, even the beasts of the earth, I establish my covenant with you in all flesh, never again to be cut off by the waters of the flood. Neither shall there be again be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said this, this is the sign of the covenant that I'm making between you and every living thing that is with you for all successive generations. I set my bow in the clouds. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. God said, I've wiped them out. There's nothing left. It's you guys. And it's, but it's not just a covenant between God and Noah. It's a covenant between God, all the animals, and the earth. He set his bow out. We Every time you can look, every time it rains and you're just like, oh man, it's raining again. Look at that rainbow. And know that God has given the earth a covenant. He's not going to destroy the earth again through water. That, that is enough to put a smile on anybody's face. The people out there that don't, aren't worried about church, when it rains, well, people get nasty and mean and ugly and drive terrible when it gets rained. But you can look up and say, the God that, the God that lives, the only God that lives, set this rainbow. He's not going to destroy the world by water again. He's got other things in, in mind, but that's a whole other chapter. Hey, John. Yes, sir. Real quick, um, I, I've heard it said that that uh, you know the rainbow part of what it symbolizes is is that it, you know as God's bow, I mean, obviously a bow you know is an instrument of war, right? right? And it's pointing away from the earth. Hmm. So that just as a symbol that the wrath of God is not coming down, but it's been it's been diverted. Hmm. You know what I mean? And um, 
just as a, a symbol of his That's interesting. propitiation almost, you know, that his wrath has been appeased. But what are they going to do with the fire? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And, and, I, and I, you got to kind of guess. Would you rather be drowned or would you rather be burned? <laughs> Neither. Neither. That's why I'm in Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd rather just go be in heaven. Okay? But that's interesting. That's interesting. Yes, ma'am. Just amazing how the thing that you're teaching us and what we just, just this alone, you see God's grace all over it. It's amazing. Everywhere. And, and what's happening, <clears throat> she, she points out something very important. That's what I want y'all to see is everybody died, everybody died, everybody died, but you got Enoch. Mm-hmm. And you got Noah. And you, as you go through the Bible, you got Abraham. And then you got Isaac. And then you got Jacob. And you got Joseph. And you got Moses. Man keeps messing up, and God is just graceful, gracious to keep sending uh, men who understand him who turn to him, who live for him. And that's, we end up with the God-man, the perfect man, uh, at the end of time, uh, sacrificing himself for us, which doesn't make sense still. And we get to go to heaven? Doesn't make sense. But God says, that's how I want it done, so that's how it's done. Um, oh, we got to move. Um At verse 20, we're going to slide through some of this. At verse 20, I said, but Noah, Noah is righteous, but Noah is not perfect. Verse 20, then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. He drank, of, he drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself in his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it on both of their shoulders and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's naked, nakedness. Now when Noah awoke from his, from his wine and knew uh, what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants. He shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. Noah was a good guy, but Noah, like all biblical characters, that's one of the reasons that I love the Bible, all of those men that I name still had flaws. They still had issues. David is considered one of the most righteous men in history, and we all know what David did. You know, Moses, Moses is the man that's given him the law, but Moses killed the man. All of them. Peter, Paul. Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and he consented to the murder of one of the saints of God. All of these men are righteous, but you got Christ, who is beyond reproach. But here's what, I, here's what we get to as we're going through verse 28. Now, if you remember chapter 5, it says, Noah lived 350 years after the flood. So all the days of Noah were 950 years. And what are the last three words? And he died. So yeah, he's righteous. He's good. He's good in God's eyes. But he still dies. So the question is, who are the sons of God? Way back in chapter 6. That's what y'all want to know, right? 
That's the question. But now, I want to, seriously, I want to understand, I want to make sure that you guys understand that the point of chapters 5 through 9 is they all die. There are righteous men who pop up. You got Enoch, you got Noah. But they all die. Man is going down. God wipes out everybody. There's nobody left but Noah and his family. But what we're going to see next week is as soon as the family comes off the boat, they start sinning. But God is gracious. So I'm going to say two more things. Um, Everybody turn in your Bible to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. In the New Testament. In 1 Peter, Peter is giving a defense against false teachers and and all of this stuff. And he's talking about, he's talking to uh, his readers, and he says this. Verse 18. For Christ also died for our sins once for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. So there are these spirits that are in prison and Christ is preaching to them who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah. Wait, okay, so we're talking about what we just talked about. During the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism, and I... I, I, I believe that this is spirit baptism. I don't think it's water baptism. Um, Baptism now saves you. And then he says this, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. Here it is, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is paralleling paralleling two things. He's saying, look, the things that these people did way back then, Caused their destruction. These spirits who are now in prison. No, that's not it. You've got God. You've got Christ, who is a who is the archetype, who is the the one who uh, the ark pictures. Because when you're in the ark, what did the ark do? Judgment was coming. Water was rising. If you were in the water, you died. But if you were in the ark, you lived. And if we're in Christ, we live. See, I can be outside of Christ. If I'm just living and I'm out here in the world, I'm going to die and I'm going to find out all of this is true. The whole Bible is true. If you don't believe the Bible, keep living and you'll die and then you'll find out, I should have listened to those crazy Christians. But if you're in Christ, and the ark pictures Christ, the ark took you through the water. Christ will bring you through your life's trials. He doesn't make everything better all the time. I'm sure life on the ark was not easy. Can you imagine? What do you do with the elephants? What do you do with the rhinos? Ooh. But to get to the other side, to come out of it, to be preserved, to be brought to life by Christ, that's the point of all of this. I think, think too, John. Yes, sir. um, You know, obviously... You know, we get, you know, 
the good thing about going to a passage like this is it shows us, you know, what was going on with that ark in terms yes. of, you know, redemptively. Yes. I mean, that, I mean it's just a perfect picture of being delivered, saved from the wrath of God. The, you know the, what I mean? Not the, just the trials of life, but the wrath of God as well. Yes. Yeah, the wrath, the wrath, the, y'all understand that the wrath of God was shown during the flood. Yeah. God... God said, God was not happy with man. I'm going to wipe them out. Okay? That's not the sign of a happy God. But in salvation, God is not happy with us. And before we're saved, the wrath of God abides on us. The wrath of God is right here. And have anybody heard of Damocles' sword? Has anybody ever heard that phrase? Damocles' sword uh, was, a, was a sword that would hang over your head, the impending doom. Okay, that's we're, this, God's wrath is right here. Mm. It's ready to drop. Mm. And when God God takes our life, because our life is in God's hands, when God takes our life, you better be found in Christ. Because right. if you're not, God help you literally, mm-hmm. because you're going to hell, and that is not where you want to be. Okay. Yeah. Um. 10 minutes. Can we do it in 10 minutes? I think we can. The sons of God. Three views. The back of your sheet. The bottom of your sheet. Verse, uh, back in Genesis, chapter 6. This is quickly a fun kind of thing for everybody. Here are three books. Three big, thick books. And guess what? They all say something different. Who are the sons of God? Does anybody have any ideas? Don't everybody raise your hand at once. Go ahead. What's up? Well, um, angels that mated with women, and then they had uh, supernatural powers compared to the normal humans. That's this view. Yeah, and I guess it's we get a lot of mythology from as well. So. We get a lot of exactly. Anybody have any other ideas? Let's get them all out there. That's this view. And then the third view. This view. <laughs> you got every kind of view. You got everything expressed, guys. You got people from, they're all over the map on this issue. They don't know. They got no idea. And guess what? Neither do I. Uh, but I, I ended up talking to somebody that we all know and respect and love in this room. I'm not going to name his name, Pastor Emilio. And, um... <laughs> He said this. That's red letter. <laughs> I really didn't know. He said this. And this is what he said. As long as your view is orthodox, and I agree, as long as your view is orthodox, you can hold it. Okay? So what's going on? You got these three primary views. You got the cosmologically mixed races. That's the angels and humans mixing together. You've got religiously mixed races. That's the godly line of Sethites and worldly Canaanite women. And then you got the sociologically mixed views. That's these evil evil uh, human rulers, these despots, and beautiful female com- uh, commoners. The witnesses for the first view are really strong. I like the witnesses for the first view. You got first Enoch, you got Josephus, you got first Peter, you got second Peter, and you got Jude 6 and 7. Um, there's a lot of, it's the oldest view, it's the, Jew, it's the view that Jews commonly, uh, before Christianity, would commonly side to. And it's a side that makes a lot of sense to me. But the problems with the view are down at the, at the bottom. It doesn't fit the context. 
I don't agree with the second one. It says angels do not marry. But that's talking about heaven. These angels aren't on in heaven. They're on the earth. And uh, why judgment on humans for the action of angels? And if you're going to use extra canonical works, you know, that's, that was kind of unprecedented to make this point. So the second view, the godly Sethites and worldly Canaanites, I couldn't really find anything that would support this or any ancient views that would express this. But the things that are against it are, it doesn't fit the context, it has a different use for the term man, and how would these people, when they had children, what would make them giants? If you just got you know, people having children... What would all of a sudden make these guys giants? That's a problem. The third view, evil human rulers and beautiful female commoners, they have some ancient uh, attestation too. They got the Aramaic Targums, and the, there's a Greek version uh, that uses the word God is used in scripture of men. That's true. Uh, Psalm 82. Psalm 82. Um, uh, parallels in chapter 4 and chapter 6 and the meaning of the word mighty, Gabor is used in the passage doesn't necessarily mean giants just kind of means men of renown men who are well known, etc, cetera, etc cetera. so if you're not going to pick any of these three because see all three of them got problems and issues and there's things that you can say yeah I like that but no I don't like that my, my view is it's kind of a coming together of all of, of two views. I think it was angels that inhabited the bodies of men. The men had uh, uh, relations with these women and the women had babies and somehow I don't know how and the Bible doesn't tell us that caused these people to be born who were giants. So that's all I can come up with with the sons of God. If anybody else has anything else, please let me know. Because I'll, I'll take it and I'll think about it and I'll mull it over. I, I looked in the ESV study Bible, MacArthur study Bible, the NIV study Bible, the Reformation study Bible, uh, a Lutheran study Bible. No help. I checked a bunch of commentaries. No help. I, I went back and read original sources for the languages. No help. So I'm like, eh. John, I think this is one of the hardest, you know, texts in all the Bible, yeah. you know, to interpret, you know, dogmatically at least, you know. But I think the verses that you cited, particularly Jude six through seven, yeah. are very, very important because there is one of the only places where you see angels being charged with immorality. And that's where we're going. If you could turn to, to turn, turn to Jude, I think I think the, the the reason why I side with angels inhabiting these did, men. You know, like you're saying, whether they did it through possession or coming into men somehow. I have no idea. You know, those details were not told. Yeah. But we are told that they did come, they did come, and they did commit some sort of immorality. So, and logically, it just seems like you, the first view you have there is probably the strongest. Probably the strongest one. And I like the fact that it, it's got that ancient attestation, too. When you've got... When, you, when you've got logic and you can take your logic back and that a lot of people have seen, I, I like that. Well, I, you know, it, it does name the race that becomes from that union as Nephilim. Right. And it describes them as giants and having uh, great abilities and they become great warriors and therefore lead and become peace. But, but the thing is, God wipes them out. 
Right, yeah, that would probably make him pretty upset. <laughs> you know, in, in what was it, um, was it in Exodus, when um, they came to a land that was mm-hmm. had, had giants, giants in it, yes. And there were like grasshoppers to them. Yes. So, you know, you kind of think, well, maybe those angels are up to it again. You know? Maybe. Anyway. Yes, Josh. Uh, uh, the term Nephilim? Yes. Is, can, is there more etymology that you discovered when studying that, like having to do with? Because the M, it just seems to me, it has something to do with godlike or the M, you know, like cherubim or. Well, uh, that that that's the em ending is, is just a plural ending. That's just a plural ending. So. John, I guess I was going to say really quick. Yes, that I guess if Satan fell, right? Remember, and he was able to be on the earth yeah. in the garden, mm-hmm. tempting. Adam and Eve, Eve mm-hmm. in the garden, then why couldn't other angels exactly. do the same thing and for whatever reason? Now, I guess the question would be, and we don't have time to talk about that, can they do it now? <laughs> I don't know. I don't well, it, says, it says in oh. Hebrews that you unawares entertain angels yes. uh, by our hospitality, but I think that you have other proofs in the same book of the Bible. In Genesis? In Genesis, mm-hmm. with the appearance of the angels that are there when the sacrifice is... Uh, yep. And he's made hospitable to them. Yep. Uh, and then I think there's another few, and it's not saying specifically it's an angel of the Lord. Right. But they, they were like men, and they were conversing like men. He didn't fall in his face necessarily out of, like, the gloriousness of, right. of the celestial being. Well, who wrestled with an angel? Well, that was, that was uh, it, Jacob. It, it had to be a physical body because he's struggling with this angel. He's right. He's in conflict with this angel. So it had to be a body that this angel had. So, I mean, there's, there is so much in this question of who are the sons of God that it's, it is mind-boggling. But let's, I want to just really, really, I think I'm just going to have time to read verses 6 and 7, and then we're going to have to go to worship. I'm sorry about that. But it says, uh, And angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, that's they came out of heaven, and kept and uh, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. He's saying... Just like Sodom and Gomorrah did this, their sin, homosexuality, was so bad that God wiped them out. These people that he's talking about in this passage, which I believe relates back to the passage in Genesis, the sons of God, they did something. They went after strange flesh. If, you're, if you are an angelic being that can manifest a body and you go after a human being that has a body physically, that's, that's something out of that made God so upset, so mad, that he said, I got to put y'all down in Tartarus. I got the holding pin in hell. Do y'all understand? Yeah. Yes, sir. Does commentary on that portion, do, do people always go back to the some? Some do, some don't. Um, that is going to depend upon how big your commentary is. If you get like, uh, I think it's El- Ellingsworth. Ellingsworth in the uh, New International Greek Commentary set. I think he's going to go back to Genesis, but if you get something like the Tyndale, little, that are smaller commentaries, they're great commentaries, but it doesn't have a lot of information. So um, I didn't get into a lot of deep study on this on this Jude passage, but so that's my case. I'm sticking with angels. 
somehow mating with men. But you can hold any view you want to. Uh, you are welcome to it as long as you don't think it was cats. So let's pray and then we're going to go out to worship. Okay, guys? Uh, Father, uh, just thank you again, Lord, for my brothers and sisters being here. Thank you for uh, allowing us to trek through uh, Genesis this way. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a covenant of the rainbow. Uh, Lord, you are so gracious and you are so kind. Lord, we look forward to um, when we can hear something uh, like Noah, or we can get a, 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 a but Noah in our lives. You know, I'm wiping everybody out, but you filled in our names. And you said, I'm going to save these people out of what they're in. Lord, I just thank you for this. Lord, we look so forward to continuing our worship through song, through the preached word, through fellowship afterwards. And Lord, it's, it is a great and glorious day to, to proclaim your excellencies. Uh, Lord, we just love you, and we just ask that you would bless uh, all of the people here in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Please hustle on off to